Well, glory. Back in church again. I'm glad y'all are here tonight. So, as I told you that, uh, you know, I had no idea for sure what we we're going to do on these Wednesday nights. We're just going to see what the Lord wanted to do. And I just, we're going to all be focused on <clears throat> healing. And so I want to, I want to kind of challenge your thinking tonight. And, and uh, if it hadn't already been challenged and kind of just go over some stuff, kind of revisit some stuff. But I think, I think let's go to Colossians chapter two. Well, get your Bibles out. I'm sorry. Messed everything up there. Go to Colossians chapter two, verse four. You know, the whole the whole time we've been we've been looking at this and studying divine healing. It's like I said, our our problem is is that we've been taught wrong for so long. It's sometimes hard to to change our thinking because if you start pulling yourself over, you know, it's like following that rut in the road. You know, you, you, you get out of it, but then you don't watch what you're doing. And then you're back in the rut. And then, you know, sometimes you just stay in the rut, you know. And it's kind of like that with our thinking. You know, we have to be challenged and, and then get out and stay out. And then finally just get off track. The best thing is to just get away from it all, you know, get over on the other side. And, uh, but it's hard because we, we've learned, we've grown. We just, you know, keep doing the same thing over again, but... We've got to see a different result, amen? And I really, I know, you'll never convince me different that when Jesus died on the cross that he died for our sins. He died for everything. He died for everything that the curse that was on this world came upon us. He paid the price for it all. And that if he died for sin, well, sickness is under sin and it's all covered. Why did Jesus walk up to the, many times in the scriptures, he said, which is easier to say, Rise up and walk or your sins are forgiven. He put it all. Jesus looked at it all as one. He didn't look at it as two separate things. There was sickness and there was sin. He just looked at it as all as there's separation from God. And when you get close to God and you get right with God, then everything lines up. That was basically it. But then we get the definition of sin. We get to put the definitions on sin. And we get to say, oh, well, they're a sinner if they did this. And they're, oh, but you're not if you did that. And then that's what happened to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They got it all religious, and they got in there, and they started, then they started saying, well, let's somebody write this down. Let's make a book. Let's put it in there. So they call it the Talmud, and they put it all in there and say, well, you know, you're not really sinning if you did it this way. You know? I mean, even today, on the Sabbath, you know, Traditional Orthodox Jewish people can't work, so they have to, the wife has to prepare. If they're going to have a meal on the Sabbath, they have to have ovens that come on at a certain time. I'd never get that right. Can you imagine that? I mean, you come in there, oh my gosh, the timer was wrong, you know? But, you know, just things that you got to do that you got, because you can't work. And, but then, you know, Jesus said, well, what do you, there's, nobody's not going to pull their donkey out of the ditch. You're just going to leave him in there and die? No, you're going to reach over there and you're going to pull him out. And so, in other words, man's traditions, Jesus said, is what stops the power of God. It's our, it's our wrong thinking that hinders and stops the power of God from moving in our lives. And so I want to read this. Let's look at this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your, your good order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, 
and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. So Paul, just think about it. This church at Colossae is young. It's a baby church. It's, this, this, is, this is not that far from the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and he's having to go and encourage you. Look, look, you're on track. You're staying on track. You're just Don't let people get you off. Don't let people come over and get you off to their philosophies and their things and get you off track. Stay on where you are. So if that was happening then, what's happening now? When we've already had thousands of years of bad teaching, right? All right. So he goes on, let's see. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Complete in him. You're complete in him. That word complete means complete. Totally and completely, 100% complete. Doesn't mean in the spirit. Doesn't mean just complete in the spirit. Like, okay, you got saved and your sins got washed away, so you're complete in heaven. We know you're still on earth. No, no, it means totally, completely, 100% complete. Made right. From where you're standing right now, everything's right. Everything's complete. Everything's whole. Everything's back in order. So what order? The order from the beginning. From the garden days. From when man never sinned. You've been made complete. Okay? Um, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. But putting off the body of sin of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him. Having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out all the handwritten, the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Okay, so just think about that for a second. He said, everything that was ever against you got nailed to the cross. All right, so the Apostle Paul is preaching to the church at Colossae, right? So, I mean, there's really no difference in him preaching to you tonight because he's, those people, they, they weren't, the apostles, right? They were just people who got saved after the resurrection of Jesus through the gospel. So they were just church people. He's writing them and saying, you, you folks, everything that was ever against you because you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you've looked at him, his blood has washed you and cleansed you. Everything that was ever written out against you, everything out that Jesus has taken that and he nailed it to the cross. It's over with, it's done. You never want to think about it. That's pretty impressive, right? So then why do we hang on to it? Why do we hang on to it? Why are we going around there trying to, you know, do a forensic resurrection of the handwritten ordinances that was nailed to the cross? Why are we over there digging up stuff and trying to put the pieces back together of, let's just say it was burnt, you know, the burnt up paper that said that you were a sinner? Why are we letting the devil come in there and harass us? Why are we letting him talk us out of what's ours? 
I mean, Paul very well could have preached this to each and every one of us. He did through this writing, his teaching, but here we go. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Oh, wait a minute. So you mean the enemy gets something against you if you still had something against you. But if he doesn't have anything against you, he's disarmed. If he has no rights or privileges to you because you're under the blood of Jesus and you have a relationship with your heavenly father and everything's forgiven and he doesn't have anything to say, he can't say anything. He has no place. When I first got saved and I was reading the Bible and I was looking at everything and just trying to learn and, and grow and, and, you know, I, I got around, <clears throat> you know, just different Christians. And I remember going into a Christian bookstore this is probably five years after I was saved. And going in a Christian bookstore and standing around watching and looking at the people walk by, and I could begin to tell who was what denomination. And that kind of scared me. It was like, wait a minute, why are we, why are people, you can tell that's that denomination, that's that denomination, that's that denomination. They're molding people into denominations rather than molding people to be like, Jesus, where's the real Jesus? And so that made me back off and sort of say, whoa, wait a minute. I want to be like Jesus. I want to find out. I want to find out the real Jesus, and I want to be like him. I don't want to be molded into something and give the enemy any place because he has no place in my life. Right? Okay. So he says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding to festivals or new moons or Sabbath, which are the shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Healing is a benefit of salvation. Hear me. Healing is a benefit of salvation. So don't let the enemy bring up something against you and cheat you out of what's yours. Let no one cheat you out of a reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels and treating to those things which has not been seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grow with increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things which perish with the using according to the commandments of doctrines of men. These things indeed have appeared, have the appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. Okay? So now I want you to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So let me ask you this question as you're turning there. Have you ever been to a, a party, a social event that you went to and you got in it, you know, and let's say it was a crowded room or whatever, and you didn't feel comfortable. Look at all you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And so, you know, I don't know why you felt uncomfortable. Maybe you felt uncomfortable because you maybe, maybe you didn't dress appropriately. Maybe you didn't have what it took to dress appropriately. Maybe it was the uncomfortableness of people or them looking at you or, you know, whatever. And so 
it made you, just I'm using that example of how it made you feel. It made you feel, you know, uncomfortable. It made you feel insecure. It made you maybe, you know, whatever. I don't know. But it wasn't, it wasn't fun, right? Well, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to flip this situation around on you to where you don't feel comfortable in the things of God. Think about that. I'll never forget, years ago, I was working with Central Christian University, and I was doing their, their, some missions work for them overseas, and, and so they were having a big board meeting, and so they wanted me to come, and I was kind of like the director of missions, and so uh, I went into this meeting, and, and I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I just was thinking... You know, you wanted me, I'll go home. So y'all wanted me in this meeting, and so I went in there and I sat down with all the guys, and we had we talked for a while, and then we went out to eat. Went to some restaurant, I don't remember where the restaurant was, some restaurant. Everybody's eating there, and there was this one pastor. He was a pastor, but prior to going into the ministry, he had been a model for GQ magazine. So this boy was slick willy, man. He was dressed. I mean, boy, he was slick as they come and just manicured to perfection. And so, you know, I mean, I didn't even try to talk with him. And uh, so we, but, you know, I was just there, you know, probably just like this. And uh, so we got through eating. And so when I walked out, I got a toothpick. Didn't think anything about it. Nothing about it. Got this toothpick, had it in my mouth, messing around with it, you know so we went back in the meeting, and I still had that toothpick. And so I was sitting there while they were all talking, and I was kind of sitting back. I was kind of in the back, and I wasn't at the head of the table or anything. I was kind of in the back, and I was messing with that toothpick. And all of a sudden, that guy just erupted. And he says, slammed his hands down the table and says, my Lord, would you take that toothpick out of your mouth? <laughs> I mean, we weren't, we weren't talking about toothpicks. <laughs> totally out of the blue. And so, of course, you know, I mean, this is a good many years ago, and so I had a little more frisk in me than I do now, and so I, I just said, this toothpick? And I said, just put it back in my mouth, and I said, well, you can come over and take it out of my mouth if you want to. <laughs> and he just blew up, and he just was just irate. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with this guy that I'm just sitting here minding my own business? Now, I was comfortable in the meeting. But he was uncomfortable with me. I don't know why. I guess he just, maybe it demeaned the whole place because I was in there or something. I don't know, you know. But he just got up and he left. He just couldn't handle it. But I thought to myself, isn't that funny? He doesn't think I fit, but I got invited, so I'm happy. I don't, Y'all invited me, so what's the big deal, you know? Because I knew he wasn't going to go to Bulgaria and he wasn't going to go in the middle of the mess that I had been in. So, you know, he wasn't with his feet dirty. But I was comfortable. But he was uncomfortable with me. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to make you like that. He wants to make you uncomfortable in the things of God. He wants to make you think you have no rights or privileges to be in the room with God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
He wants to make you feel uncomfortable like you have no rights or privileges. Like if you walked in the room and there was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and there was all the people that you were just like, oh gosh, you know, I hope I feel uncomfortable because I, I don't know that I belong here. That's what he wants to do to you. Because the moment he does that to you, then you take yourself out of your rights and privileges as a child of God. And he can come in there and say, oh, goodness gracious, you know, you don't have any right to be here. So look at this. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus, after the resurrection, Mary runs into him, and Jesus says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now, that if it stopped right there, if it just, right there, that was all he said. We'd all say, oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus hadn't yet ascended to his Father. But then he says, But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and now your father. Now, wait a minute. Let's just put that back. In my father's house, I'm talking about my natural father's house. I'm pretty comfortable. Hello? Nobody's going to tell me to take toothpick out of my mouth in my house. You following me? And Jesus, out of his own mouth, said to me, I'm going to my father and your father. He, something had changed. The resurrection. Everyone who believed in Jesus was in the family, not just, not just looking from the outside in, not just having this uncomfortable feeling of being in the presence of Jesus, not, but in the family to where you should be totally and completely at ease and comfortable in the things of God. He said, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Look at Galatians chapter four, verse six. You know, I've been in some Christian things that made me uncomfortable. Right? I think if you've been around, been to any, you know, conferences or anything like that, been around, I've been around some things that made me uncomfortable. I, I was like, man, what is going on here? You know? Right? But in my father's house, I'm talking about in my father's house, in the presence of God, in the word, in the presence of the word, in the presence of Jesus and all like that, man, I'm totally comfortable. Religion makes me uncomfortable at times. Whether it be, you know, whatever kind of religion it might be from one end of the spectrum to the other, that makes me nervous. Right? Because when we start talking about dress and we start talking about this or that or the other, you know, and you start getting into all those kind of things. It makes me nervous around those kind of people because I'm like, something ain't right with you. It's my thinking because you haven't met my Jesus because he doesn't care about that. Hello? Now, I like to be comfortable. And that's when we have soft chairs. <laughs> right? I mean, I could get them all out of here and we could sit on hay bales if we thought it'd make us more religious, but that ain't going to be much fun. Right? So I'm for comfort. I like air conditioning. Right? I don't want to sit in here and sweat. Right? So I'm saying it's not religious. I just want to be, I just, I just know I'm comfortable in my father's house. When it's my father's house. <laughs> when it's religious house, I'm not too comfortable. Right? Okay, Galatians 4, 6, what does it say? And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. An heir? See, it gets better. You're not just an adopted child into the family that, you know, you're always going to be second rate. You're not somebody that he just let in because, you know, he didn't have anything else to do with you. Felt sorry for you, just let you in. See, the devil wants to play all those cards to you so he can cheat you out of who you are. Now, I'm a father, and if my son needs something from me, he's going to get it because I love my son. Well, then what about your father in heaven? He's going to say, well, you need to stay there and suffer for a while. You need to learn something from this experience. Your father, your heavenly father, God that created the heavens. Man, folks, listen to me. My, my daddy created the world. And somebody can say, well, who do you think you are? I just got saved. I'm just following the rules. I just entered into the covenant, and I'm following the rules. The rules say, if I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he's raised from the dead, that my sins are forgiven, and I'm in as a son. So I'm just going to take it. Well, I want to say, well, that's not right. That couldn't be right. Man, it's the best deal I ever found in my life. When I read the Bible for the very first time, after I, after I asked Jesus into my life, and I read the Bible for the very first time, all I could look at was, why has no, it, it, the world not run for this? This is the greatest thing there ever was. No one needed to sit there and interpret it to me as I just read through the Bible. And I was like, this is the greatest thing there ever was. What is wrong with people? Why aren't churches full? Holy cow, look at this. And then I knew that, you know, give me three months, six months at tops, I could get the world saved because I was going to tell everybody what the Bible said because nobody had, apparently nobody else had heard. <laughs> That's the total attitude I had, you know. And then I just kept getting shot down left and right. And I was like, you guys are crazy. What do you mean? And they'd say, Robert, I think you, you know, you've kind of gone over on the deep end. <laughs> Have you read your Bible? Because this is too good to be true. But that's what he says, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. This, it came in our heart. Now we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay. Go to Romans 8, 15. Eight, Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we might also be glorified together. Now, just hold on. Let me ask you something. Did God, did God the Father help Jesus the son here on earth, when Jesus was on earth. Well, everybody prayed for got healed, right? There was an interaction between God the Father and God the Son, right? So if God helped Jesus on earth, then why wouldn't he help you on earth? If you're an heir and a joint heir with Christ, a joint heir would mean that he got everything, you got everything equal to the other heir, correctly? You're a joint heir. So there's $100 and both of you got 50. 
I had an aunt, uh, she was actually my great aunt, who when she passed away, she left in her will her estate, but the estate went to, they had no children, so the estate went to every blood heir. So the lawyers had to go through and look, and everybody that was a blood heir received an inheritance. And I popped up. And I got the same inheritance split, however many ways that the heirs that they found, everybody got an equal inheritance because we were all blood heirs of that estate. Nobody got more. We all got the same. Everybody got the same amount. Well, wait a minute. If everybody from heaven gets the same amount as God gave Jesus when he was here on earth, I think you got more than you need. So then we back up. Then why are we letting the enemy talk us out of it? Why are we letting him bring up the handwritten ordinances? Why are we going and doing forensic research on the the, the things that have already gone to the cross and nailed up and been gone and it's over with and it's, it's no more, what are we doing over there messing around? Instead of staying over here in the joint air pile. You see, the enemy's smart to come in and trick you because it all hinges on your faith. If you don't believe, you're not going to ever see anything happen. But if you do believe and walk in the promises that God gave you, you'll see things happen. So the enemy tries to get you in the camp of no faith, not believing, doubt and unbelief. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And he wants to keep you over there because when you're over there, then you're not being a joint heir. You're not walking in what's his. And when you are walking in what's his, then the enemy's got no, he's got no place. He's got, it's, it's, right there, he was just disarmed. He was disarmed. He has no weapon to use against you. Okay. Let's look at another scripture. John chapter, go back to John chapter 20. But now look over at verse 24. <clears throat> um, John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the prints of his nails and put my finger into the print of his nails... And put my hand into this, his side, I will not believe. Wow. So what's up with Thomas? I mean, he was, so going from his statement, he was totally convinced that Jesus was not the Son of God. Right? That there's no way he could have been resurrected from the dead. His, his, his belief was there's no way he could rise from the dead. He says, unless I put my fingers, I mean, like he's saying literally, unless I can, if, he's a, if I can stick my finger in there, I'll believe it. So he's pretty convinced that he is not resurrected. He said, and then eight days, and then in eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with him, and Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. I just love how he does that. You know, he just, just slips right in and says, hey. And everybody's, ah, freaks out. And he said to Thomas, hey, big boy, get your finger and put it in over here. You want to see a hole? Check this one out. Right? Can you imagine what Thomas felt like? I mean, Jesus just like, yeah, here. You want to see a hole? Look at this baby. Put your finger in here. Come on. Put your finger in here, boy. 
Thomas, you know he's just freaking out, right? And he said, look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God, right? I mean, pretty, pretty convincing. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. But are those who have not seen me, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So here's this element of faith that if we're like Thomas, so let's just, let's just say God didn't, Thomas didn't get, wasn't at the right place at the right time. Let's say he was absent the second time. Let's say he had gone and done something else. He wasn't with them. And then they all came and told him, Jesus came back. He just walked in the midst of it. He said, peace be with you. And he was there. We talked to him. He would, he would have still been like, oh, you guys have all gone crazy. What have y'all been smoking in there? Right? Because he was, I mean, from his first account, he was totally and completely convinced there was no way. So what happens to us is when we put ourselves in a position of, well, I believe it when I see it. You're always in a position of doubt. And what I've come to understand is, it's not like I need to see it before I believe it. I just want to know what the Word says, and then I'm trying to convince myself and work myself and sow seeds in my heart and grow seeds of faith to believe what the Word says. You'll follow me? Now, I want to tell you this. It does help when you see it. Right? But isn't that pretty sad? I mean, just think of it. I'm, I'm, I have taught enough and preached enough in these last month or two, going on two months, on healing, that if you're not convinced that there's biblical, Jesus does heal today just like he did 2,000 years ago, then, and you're still full of doubt and unbelief, then either you're not sowing seeds, you're not growing, you're not cultivating your garden, you're not really, you're not really a tending to the words, you're not really looking at it, you're not really doing much, you're kind of like Thomas just backed up and said, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Because you're challenged. I just know what the Word says. I'm just going through the Word. This is not the doctrine of Living Waters Church. Well, it is a doctrine of Living Waters Church, but I'm saying it's not something I brought up and trying to put upon you. I'm just reading the Word, and that's the Word, right? I mean, you got to go look it up in your own Bible and read it. But yet I can tell you, man, you get out there on the internet and get searched and do whatever you can find. You can absolutely find the person out there saying that the exact opposite, exact opposite. But so you could you on everything. I guarantee you, right, you could take something simple like penicillin right now. And you could find somebody that said, oh, my gosh, don't take it no matter what you do. Another person will say, oh, my gosh, you better take it if you, you know, you're going to die. Then make any what it is. There's two there's always going to be that opposing voice. It's up to us to quit looking on the, from the outside in, and it's up to us to step into what the Word says. And either you are a son, you are either a child of God, born again, and all the handwritten ordinances are against you or gone. You are clean as a baby. You have the right to walk in the room and not feel uncomfortable with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the right to walk in and just be able to stand right there with all the saints in glory and be able to just high-five, run up and high-five Ezekiel. I don't know if he's into that, but I mean, you got the right to. 
right? Walk up and ask Moses, man, can you just throw your stick down? Here, let me get back. <laughs> throw that stick down over there. Let me see it turn into a snake. Right? I mean, you, you, you've, you, you've got to just be able to know that if the word is true, it's true. So then why does it challenge us to go the next step to believe that God's going to do miracles through our prayers? Why does, it believe, why does it all of a sudden this thing click in our head that our Heavenly Father maybe is not going to help us? It's because we're looking from the outside in. We, we, we removed ourselves. We only said He's going to give us so much. He's not going to give us the full package. You're not really a joint heir. You're not really going to get it all. You've just got a limited portion. And if you were Mother Teresa, you'd get a bigger portion. If you would do more, give more, pray more, or, you know, do some kind of work, so then surely he would bless you more. But, man, joint heirs, joint heir. And I want to tell you something. When, like, that inheritance I got, it changed my thinking because I realized that every heir got exactly the same amount, no matter who they were, no matter what status they were, no matter if they were of good standing or not. But they had the blood in them. And I got what I got, not because of what I did, not because of what I had accomplished, but because of the blood in me. And it changed my thinking. Because if now that's, I'm a joiner with Christ, it's by the blood. And I'm a joiner by Christ by the blood, whether they like it or not. Whether anybody likes it or not, doesn't make any difference. The rights and the privileges of sons of God that are the same Jesus had are mine. Stretch it, doesn't it? When you get to thinking like that. But what happens to us is we come in here on a Wednesday night, get all pumped up, say, yes, 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 that's right, that's right. And then by, you know, tomorrow morning, something's going on, and you get off on something else and chase another rabbit and fall back in that rut, go back on down the road the same way. And that's where we've got to change. We've got to change that. So I've had you doing these confessions, you know, where uh, you're, you're waking up in the morning and saying, I'm blessed, you know, so maybe you need to write you a new confession and write down in there and say, you know, I'm blessed and I'm a joiner with Christ Jesus. All that the, by the blood of Jesus, all that Jesus has is mine. And you start challenging yourself on that. Start looking at it. Start thinking about your heavenly father. Quit looking at earthly things and start looking at heavenly things. Amen? And don't give the devil any place. And then watch what happens. I want to encourage you, if you come into a situation, you don't have to be some great theologian to pray for people. Do you know that most people, what I found is most people won't take preaching, but most people will take prayer, especially if they're hurting. And you say, can I pray for you? I've never had anybody say, don't pray for me. Right? Have you said, anybody ever had that? I mean, you just say, can I pray for you? I mean, like if you just went up and somebody's upset, and you say, can I pray for you? What are you doing? Yeah, maybe that. But I'm talking about somebody's hurting, just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor, just got something going on. They say, can I pray for you? They're going to say, yeah, pray for me. Why? Because people are looking for anything when they're hurting. Yeah, give them some hope. 
So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Don't be, don't, don't back up, man. You're a child of God. You have every right to lay hands on the sick and, and, and see God do miracles. You have every right to pray for people and know that God's going to move. He's just looking for your hands and your mouth to say something. You are the agent here on earth. You are the heir here on earth. So grab it and go with it. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Well, praise the Lord.